Festival One podcast. Father, you've seen us as we have acknowledged your son's death, burial, and resurrection. And as we've taken the symbols of the cup and the bread, the blood and the body, and we've anchored ourselves again in the fact that we are mere humans and we're relying utterly on you, our Heavenly Father. We thank you for Chad being here. We thank you for being, bringing this beautiful big unit all the way from America to here to talk to us. And we look forward to what he's got to say. And may the wind, as this gentle breeze blows through, may the wind of your spirit blow through us all and make us to fall more and more and more in love with your son. Amen. 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 Thanks, Graham. What's up, everybody? Good morning. I feel God doing something so special this morning. Is it just me? I, I, I'm kind of just like a little, I'm a little shook. <laughs> My knees are a little wobbly. And um, I think it's, it's appropriate as his people when we come together to receive the reward. The greatest reward on earth is his presence. Amen. To be able to feel and sense and just know that God is with us. He's Emmanuel, God who is, who's with us. Yesterday, uh, we talked about the cross going, y'all ready? One, two, three. Okay, we're a little quiet this morning, that's okay. <laughs> we partied hard with King and Country last night for King and Country. It was amazing. Let's do it one more time. The cross goes... Up to God, up to God. I had such amazing feedback yesterday from what you guys would say, heaps of people that came to me and, and recognition that there was broken relationship with their earthly father. Therefore, it made, them, it made it hard for them to see and have true engagement with their heavenly father because that word father just hurts. There's just an association of father with pain. And so when I think of the word father, I think, man, my daddy wasn't necessarily there or we don't have necessarily the best relationship or it's not reconciled. So it's difficult. And I'm so blessed by your courage, by the courageous acts that every single one of you who said, I believe that no matter the pain, no matter what has taken place, like the Apostle Paul wrote in the scripture that I shared yesterday, Ephesians chapter 2, which is really, in my opinion, the, the hinges, that, that chapter of the whole New Testament, that it talks about we were far off, we were estranged from God, but Jesus Christ came and he tore down the middle wall, that there was a partition, a wall between us and God. That our reach failed and we tried to find ourselves in things with a fallen reach to no avail. That search will never fulfill you. I shared that yesterday. But because of Jesus, the Bible says God has torn down the middle wall so that our reach through the cross of Jesus Christ can be restored. 
back to the Father. Redeemed, which means to be bought back. He purchased us back. What was the price? Y'all are asking good questions this morning. The price was the blood of Jesus, his son. He wanted a family. He wanted relationship with a family, so he sold a son. Woo, that's the heart of a father. He restored us. He bought us back to himself through his son, Jesus. The cross goes up to God. Oh, yeah, that's a good place to, to, to woo, woo, hallelujah, amen, something, exhale, God is good. Ready? The cross goes up to God. It's vertical in its restoration. But then also today, the cross goes, this is where you get the chance to, like I said, punch your neighbor on your right or your left. If they were snoring last night in your tent, ready? On the count of three, knock them out, ready? And the cross goes, and you're going to say out to man, ready? One, two, three, the cross goes out to man. The cross goes up to God, it goes out to man. Ready? One more time, just for good measure. The cross goes out to man. <laughs> and I can't wait to preach tomorrow because I'm so excited. I'm like, ah, let's just get there, get there. Because the cross goes out to man and then the cross goes into me. Woo! Jesus tore down the middle wall, separating us, dividing us from the Father. Jesus also, Paul writes to the Ephesian church and says, it says, that he tore down the middle wall of separation through the cross of Jesus Christ between every one of us. I'm an American. Woo! <laughs> it is tough, T-U-F-F, in America right now. And I need to go back to English class for spelling. It is tough in America because people are divided. In my lifetime, I'm 41 years old, and in my lifetime, I've never ever seen this much division in America. People groups, religious groups, races, it's everybody is in, on high sensitivity. And of course, drum roll please, Republicans versus Democrats. Oh, it's a tough time. If there was ever a time in America where the gospel needed to be preached and needed to be lived out by God's people, it's now. I venture to believe that that same gospel that is desperately needed in America is the same truth of the gospel that is desperately needed in, to the people, into the heart and the fabric of New Zealand. Amen. Amen. Because the cross restoring us back to God, because that restoration has taken place inside of our hearts, now that restoration is supposed to be played out through our lives. So let me share with you a quick story. Father, bless your word this morning. Amen. I, <laughs> I, I, I spent the last 17 years working in professional sports and in uh, the National Football League. It's American football where they wear pads and helmets and they smash each other and act crazy and, you know, think they're tough. But, really, they're, you know, but they don't play rugby. <laughs> we're padded up. <laughs> but they make a lot of money. So the last 17 years I've been sharing as a, as a chaplain, a pastor, a mentor to the heroes of, of America's culture. Um, that's been kind of a cool thing, but really my bread and butter has been working and ministering to a generation of young people where I'm one day, my life is such a dichotomy because one day I'm driving 14-year-old uh, 
boys farting and eating hot Cheetos in a church van, laughing and smelling up to church camp. And then the next day, I'm speaking to uh, the Los Angeles Dodgers, which is a baseball team. I also work with a cha- uh, work as a chaplain for them. The next day, I was in the middle of the clubhouse in the baseball uh, arena, and I added it up, and there was almost a billion dollars in the room between 30 men who I was speaking to. The day before, I was riding to church camp with some stinky, having a blast, turning up, getting lit in the car, in the van, (laughs) turning up, driving up to church camp, young people. It was just like, Lord, you know what you're doing. I'm preaching to heroes, and I'm preaching to the the ones who look up to them. But... Uh, in, in the Los Angeles Dodgers work, I met this guy who was a part of, and you may not know much American uh, sports history, that's okay, you'll get the, you'll get the analogies. Um, back in the, in the 50s and 60s, uh, there was, uh, baseball was a big part of the civil rights movement. Um, there was this player, his name was, his name was Jackie Robinson, 42, if you ever get a chance to watch the movie, my friend made the movie, um, but 42 was... It paints a good picture about the civil rights movement. There was this guy who actually attended many of my chapels. His name was Maury Wills. Maury Wills played back in the 60s for the Los Angeles Dodgers. I call him Uncle Maury because through the years, he would come to my chapel sessions every Sunday morning with the Los Angeles Dodgers, and he would sit at the end of the table, and he would swell up with tears. He's probably in his 70s, 80s now, um, but he would swell up with tears as I'm preaching the gospel. Every single morning, I'm sharing, he'd walk up to me, and he'd say, he'd say, they call me Reverend, he's old school, he'd say, Reverend, he'd say, man, that's the best sermon I've ever heard. And the next Sunday, swell it with tears, he'd walk up to me, Reverend, that's the best sermon I've ever heard. The next Sunday, Reverend, that's the best sermon I've ever heard. I said, Uncle Maury, you tell me this every Sunday. Like, you're making me feel good. He's like, no, it's just so good. Every time I hear the word, we'll see. Maury has a story. And his story was that he was strung out on drugs not once but twice. He lost everything. They found they had to go, his teammates had to go rescue him, his former teammates, from Skid Row, which is like a, a really, really, um, it's, it's a street in Los Angeles where a lot of heroin and homeless people Drug addicts and and people stay. And Maury Wills, baseball player, hero, 19, I think 62 or 3, National League MVP was there. He's listening to my sermons. Well, after each sermon on Sunday mornings, he would put me in his golf cart and he would roll around with me and he would just share stories. And there was one story that I just love and it stuck with me. In America, the best home run hitter for, for baseball of all time is this name, his name, this guy named Hank Aaron. Everybody say Hank Aaron. Okay, Hank Aaron was the best home run hitter of all time. Home run means you you hit the ball and it goes over the fence. You score. Best home run hitter of all time, Uncle Maury said, he stepped up to the plate. He was playing for then the Milwaukee Braves. The Milwaukee Braves were playing the New York Yankees. Hank Aaron, the best home run hitter of all time, steps up to the plate, digs his feet into the dirt, grabs his bat, looks at the pitcher as he's getting ready to wind up. Now let me set the stage. 
The stage is that the Milwaukee Braves and the New York Yankees were playing in a time and in a game when you win, you go on, but if you lose, you go home. It was playoff time. Here's the big thing. There was a man who was behind the, the batter, and in ba American baseball, they call it a catcher. He has a mitt, he's got pads, and he catches the pitch from, from the pitcher. His name was Yogi Berra. He's a Hall of Famer. He's a baseball American hero. Yogi Berra was known as a sweet talker. He was a smooth talker. He would sit behind the batters, and he would talk and talk and talk and try to distract the batter from being focused on the pitch. Got it? Big time baseball moment. You win, you go on, you lose, you go home. It's the bottom of the ninth, which means it's the last inning. This is the end of the game. It's the bottom of the ninth. The bases are loaded. There's four, three bases. The bases are loaded. The team is down by three. There's two outs. Down by three. You only get three outs. Down by three. Bases loaded. Best home run hitter of all time. Steps up to the plate. Basically, I'm setting the stage for what really was happening. If you guys don't understand, just understand this. It's a massive moment in sports history right here. It's about to go down. Like, this guy has, has massive pressure right here. Hank Aaron, the best home run hitter of all time, steps up to the plate. The pitcher winds up. Yogi Bear's behind him. He's talking. Oh, he's a weak stick. We got it, guys. We're moving on. We're going to win. Here we go, baby. Everybody move in. He's not going to hit the ball today. He's talking, talking, talking. Hank Aaron doesn't pay him any attention. The pitcher winds up and begins to pitch. Oof. Throws. The pitch, it's a ball. Hank Aaron still zoned out, focused on the pitcher. Yogi Bear is still behind him in his ear, just talking, trying to distract him with all his might. Pitcher winds up, Oof. throws another pitch. It's a strike. Continues on all the way until it gets to a place where it's a full count. Three balls, two strikes. You only, man, this is even a bigger deal now. Three balls, two strikes, bottom of the ninth, base is loaded, you're down by three, you win, you go on, you lose, you, you go home. It's a big deal. Best home run hitter of all time, steps up to the plate, Hank Aaron zones out, looks at the pitcher. Yogi Berra realizes, guys, he's back, and he's, he's back there, and he's, he realizes no matter what he's saying to Hank, he can't distract him. He's like, man, this guy isn't, isn't being distracted. So finally he goes, hey, Hank, the writing's turned the wrong way. And on a baseball bat, a wooden baseball bat, a Louisville slugger, a wooden baseball bat, the writing, if it's turned the wrong way, especially back in those days, the way they were made, if the writing was turned the wrong way on the bat, when you would connect with the baseball, the bat had a high chance of just breaking or you just hit a little dinker ball and, you know, it's, it's a wrap. It's over. So Hank Aaron, the best home run hitter of all time, doesn't pay Yogi Bear any attention. Zones out, the pitcher winds up. Uncle Maury said, man, you could hear a pin drop in the stadium. There's 38, 40,000 people in the stadium. He pitches, whew, the pitch comes right down the pump. It's coming down the middle. Hank Aaron, the best home run hitter all time, rocks back. Poof, cracks the ball. It goes over second base. It goes over center field. And it drops over the center field fence for what we call in baseball a grand slam 
home run. The crowd goes crazy. This is, they, they've won the game. The crowd's going wild. The boys on the team run out of the dugout as Hank Aaron's rounding first base. His team's clearing out the dugout. Can't wait to jump on him and dogpile him because he's the hero of the moment. Steps on second base. He steps on third base, and Uncle Morris said he went down to home plate, and he goes and he jumps on home plate, and they won. He turns around, his boys jump on him. Ah, they're all celebrating. After the celebration was over, Uncle Morris said he watched Hank Aaron, and Hank Aaron just went ahead and walked right by Yogi Berra. Yogi Berra was standing there in defeat, had his catcher's mask in one hand and his mitt in the other, and he was just standing there, and he said, Hank just walked right by him. Didn't even say anything to him. As he walks down into the dugout to get ready to go leave, to go back into the locker room, he said, you know what? He turned around and he crawls back out of the dugout and he yells back to Yogi Berra. He said, hey, Yogi, I just want you to know something. I didn't come here to read. And he walks back in. <laughs> What's the moral of the story? I'm glad you're asking good questions this morning, New Zealand, about American baseball. What's the moral of the story? Listen, if you don't know why you're here, you'll let the voices distract you. Peter, <laughs> Peter answers what I believe in a conversation with Jesus are the two most important questions that you need to answer in your entire life. Here it is. Y'all ready? Two most important questions you need to answer in your entire life. One, who is God? Everybody say, who is God? Who is God? You, if you can answer that question, woo, you've got a great step in life. Number two, who are you? Best two questions, most important two questions to answer in your entire life. Who's God? Who am I? Let me put a little part B to the second question. If who am I, why am I here? Who's God? Who am I? Why am I here then? Peter comes to Jesus in a place in Matthew chapter 16. The Bible calls it Caesarea Philippi. And he comes to him, and I'm going to pastor CJ arise it, which basically means I'm just going to put it in our terms. And he comes to, to Jesus, and, and him, him and Jesus have this conversation, and Jesus asks him, hey man, Peter, what's the word on the street about me? In other words, what are they saying about me out there? And so Peter responds to him. At this time, his name was Simon Barjona. Simon Barjona means, watch this, weak stick or a reed. You know what a reed is, the thing they play it, put in a little saxophone or a clarinet. It's a, it's a weak stick, a breakable weak stick. I want you to remember that. Because when he comes to Jesus in this conversation at Caesarea Philippi, he calls him first Simon Barjona, weak stick. He says, hey, hey, weak stick. What's up, man? What are they saying about me out there? And he responds back to him and he says, well, you know, Jesus, some say you're Elijah. Some say you're a great prophet. Basically, you know, my granny says this. My, my pastor says that. My friends say this. My friends say that. Here's what Jesus says. In other words, that's all good and great. 
who they say I am. But watch this. He goes, Simon, here's the question. Who do you say that I, the son of man, am? I want to know who do you say that I am? Not who does your youth pastor say I am. Not who does your pastor or your parents or your grandparents say that I am. Who do you say that I, the son of man, am? And watch this. He responds to him in this conversation and he says, I say that you are Jesus, the Christ, the Christos, the anointed one. You are Jesus, Yeshua, Hamashiach, the Messiah, Jesus, the Christ, the anointed one who we've been waiting for our whole lives. And Jesus responds to him and says, and I say to you, Simon Barjona, that you are Peter or Petra, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and the very gates of hell will not even be able to prevail or win against the church. Watch this. Here's the exchange. I want you to see this. He comes to Jesus as a weak stick. He understands through the revelation of the gospel who Jesus is, that you are the son of God. You are the promised one. You're the Messiah. I know it in my heart. I know who you are. And watch this exchange when he says, I know who you are. God responds to him and says, now you are. You are the Christ. You are Peter. Nobody and no one can tell you more about you than the one who created you. If you want to know who you are, stop looking in everything else and start looking to the one who formed and shaped you. The Bible says who knew you before you were even formed in your mother's womb. Who knit you together. Who fashioned you with fearfulness and, and wonderful thoughts. Like you were put together by the creator and the sustainer of the universe. God had intention when he formed you. If you want to know who you are, you've got to know who he is. And then... In this moment, he says, you upon this rock, I will build my church, my church, my church. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. In other words, he says, nothing will be able to stop no matter, no devil, no darkness. Nothing will be able to stop the movement of my church in the earth. The gates of hell will not prevail against my church. Do you understand that when you come into a relationship with Jesus, when you uh, allow restoration to take place in your heart, the cross restores you back to God, you become a part of his church. And now what happens is, as a part of the church, when Christ is being formed in us first, what happens is now we have a responsibility and not just a responsibility, it should be, listen, a burning desire. To know him and to make him known. To know him. God help. This is my call. This is my heart's desire. I want to know you and I want to make you known. I want to know you and I want to make you known. Sometimes we make life way too complicated. We try to make it about so many other things, but I'm telling you, this is the answer. I've seen, I've seen people who have made millions upon millions upon millions 
who've had fame upon fame upon fame. And I promise you, at the mountaintop of all the world has to offer, there are the most, some of the most empty people I've ever seen in my entire life. The world is not going to allow you to be defined to the degree money, stuff, fame, fortune. It's not going to allow you to understand you the way Christ is going to define to you who you are. To know him and to make him known. In my life, in my life, I heard about my father and my relationship with my dad yesterday. In my life, after I got saved, I went to that FCA camp. I heard the gospel for the very first time, the G-O-S-P-E-L, the good news of Jesus Christ, that God came and reconciled us back to his, the Father through his son Jesus, that we were made, listen, for relationship with God. That is your number one purpose, to have relation. You, that is, that's it. That's why we, we, we live, move, have our being. It's to have relationship with God. Because he's love, he needed someone to pour his love out on. Because there is no love without someone to give it to. Amen? Amen. <laughs> and so he had to form you. So you, could, you, were, you were made in love so that you could receive love. It's powerful. When I heard this message at that camp, like I shared with you yesterday, the gospel of Jesus Christ captivated my heart. It captivated my heart to the degree that there was a burning passion in ways you all I can't even describe. So I go back into my family who had never stepped foot into a church. I go back into my family who was in shambles and all kinds of stuff going on. I go back into a family who I so desperately wanted to make sure that they knew and felt the same feeling of fulfillment that Jesus brings internally. That he brings peace to a heart and a life that was full of chaos. I wanted my family more than anything to be able to know the assurance of what it means and what it feels like to know that you're going to live in eternity forever, forever, ever, forever, ever, <laughs> forever. That's a long time. Man, people say, hey, Chad, so when did you want to, when did you, when did you like learn to preach or when did you start preaching? And I, guys, I didn't have this plan. Jesus saved my life. He saved my life and he was saved my life. I just wanted to get to know him. And so I opened up the scriptures at night. I didn't even know you were supposed to go to church. I just knew you. I just heard at the camp, you're supposed to get in your word to have devotion with God daily, to commune with him because you were made for a relationship with him. I didn't even know what the church was, like the actual building and the fellowship and all that. So I didn't understand all this. I just heard the gospel that you're supposed to have relationship with God. And so I'd get in my word every day from the, from the age of 17 to 19. I would be in my word. And y'all, this is my story. This is the only thing I've got. But the Holy Spirit, through his, through his word, would come and disciple me. He came alongside me and he walked me. He walked with me out of a bunch of stuff and into new life. He walked with me through the scriptures. He, Jesus discipled me. Gee, I'm a huge fan of the church. I believe in the church. I believe in the local church. I believe that it's the most powerful organism in the entire world. But I didn't have that experience early on. All I knew was Jesus. Amen? That's it. So I went back to a family who I so desperately wanted them to know him as well. 
And so you say, well, Pastor Chad, how did it start for you? It didn't start wanting to speak to crowds or travel the nations and across the waters and having this burning desire for the world to know this Savior that lives now inside of me. I started with my broken family. You know where it started for me? To go back and preach this gospel that has saved your soul to your family. To be now a reconciler of the one who reconciled me. Now, go back and reach them. Right in your home. Go back. He may, he's, he's known. Now, make him. That was a burning desire inside of me that I cannot describe. My dad was the forefront of that. My father, see, when he was 17, my dad's dad killed himself. My dad saw his, his, his father um, cheating on his mother. My dad looked at him and said, I hate you. I never want to see you again. He went back and told his mom. His mom and, and my, my dad and his little sister packed up and they were getting ready to leave. My dad's dad went and got drunk and said, he, try, he actually tried to murder my dad's mom. Said, if you're, you can't leave, if you leave me, we're all leaving. And they escaped. They got away. This is the story. My dad and his fam and his sister and, and his mother got away. And my dad's dad went away that evening after drinking a lot of alcohol and got a gun and killed himself. I was so afraid and terrified for years and years and years that my dad was going to try to commit suicide as well. For some reason, my dad just always struggled with the pain because he, he harbored that. My mom said they were high school sweethearts. And my mom said after his dad killed himself, he went into a room, he locked himself in there, and he didn't come out. That's how he dealt with the pain. He dealt with the pain by just shoving it in there. And so I think that my dad struggled with suicidal thoughts and depression for years and years and years. And I desperately wanted to try to keep him alive. I desperately tried to, to bring this gospel to my father, who had the biggest hard heart. Y'all, I would go, I was 17, I would go every night, and I would get down on my knees. I promise you, I was 17 years old from the time I got saved at that camp. And I would go and I'd pray this prayer, Father, Lord Jesus, please, please save my daddy. Please, please save my daddy, God. I don't know how to do it, I don't know how you're going to do it, but I know you love him. Please save my dad. It's a burning passion. I want him to be saved. And I would pray that prayer for my dad every single night. Years and years go by. I become a pastor. My dad was so hardened toward the gospel. I would go back and visit him in Colorado, and I'd be like, all right, here we go. This is the time. This is the day he's going to receive. And I would pray, and I would seek God and say, Lord, open up his heart. And I'd go visit him, and I'd say, you know, we'd spend time together, and I'd have the boldness and the courage to share the gospel with my daddy. And my dad would look at me when I'd share it, and he would grit his teeth, and he'd wrinkle up his forehead, and he'd say, how can I receive a God that is supposed to be good? Get that stuff away from me. God can't be good. After all I've experienced in my life, see, he had so much hurt and unforgiveness in his heart, harbored for years and years and years and years towards his dad, towards life, that when I'd go share the gospel with my dad, he'd reject me like crazy, y'all. For years and years, I'd go back. Every night, I prayed for my dad. I prayed for my dad for 17 years. As life would have it, 
And as I'm closing, and the band can come up, I, I, I want you all to understand that I would pray, and as I'd pray, I started to lose heart. A pastor praying and going, Lord, I don't know. I've witnessed to him for over a decade. It was 17 years. And I would, I, I, I'd led thousands and tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands possibly to Jesus, but I can't even leave my own daddy to the Lord. I'm like, Lord, do it, please. Save my dad. My dad had diabetes, and through his diabetic struggle, he began to lose limbs. It started with his toes, and it went to his ankle, and then it went to his knee, and it went to his hip, and then they started with the other leg. And he had surgery after surgery of amputations. And I'd watch my dad, my hero, who we played bat, we played ball together all my life. We, I watched my dad be immobilized. And here's the crazy dichotomy that I was watching take place in my father, who I prayed for every night of my life. I'd watch him, and he'd be so hard. But don't, don't, don't ask me to explain this. But God in his sovereignty, outside of time, in eternity, was allowing my dad, I would never say that God was chopping him up, because we don't serve a God like that wasn't mutilating my father but I'd watch my dad go through these surgeries and I'd oh my heart would break oh my dad my dad he's in pain Lord and I, it was horrible to watch and I remember praying one night and I heard God say to me Chad listen he goes you see his body but I'm going for his heart Woo! and I understood quickly the sovereignty of God in a way I've never understood it before. That, that God wasn't necessary, wasn't that he didn't care about what was taking place in my dad's life and in his health, but he was like, look, this earthly body will pass away. But what I want is his soul. And so I continued to pray. I got back down on my knees and said, Lord, go for his heart. Go for his heart, God. Go for his heart. And I got the courage up one day. He was, still, he was laying in ICU after he had a heart attack. I went up and I was sitting there and I, the doctor was like, he probably only has a few days left. And I went in there and I said, Dad. I said, okay, here we go. Let's share the gospel one more time. Dad, Jesus Christ came and he lived a perfect life. And I'm sharing the gospel with him. And I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be another slam door in my face. And he looks at me, and I was like, if you just open up your heart, receive him, confess with your mouth, believe in your heart in the Lord Jesus, that God raised him up, you'll be saved. That's what the Bible says. And I was like, Dad, do you want to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior today? And I thought, y'all, he was going to slam the door in my face and wrinkle his nose and grit his teeth at me. And he looked over at me, and he goes, Chad, I already did that. <laughs> And I went, okay, Lord. Like, all these years of praying, it was like God took my face. You know what he did? He took Chad's face, this big old bald dome, and he, he went like this, and he smeared my face in his faithfulness. He smeared my face. And here's what he was doing to me. I've heard every prayer. 
I've listened to every word you've prayed. I heard every single cry of your heart for your daddy. I heard every single cry from the heart that I gave you, the passion that I gave you when I redeemed you for your dad to be saved, to make him known in your family. I heard it all. And I didn't ignore one prayer. I'm in total control. I'm good and I'm good all the time. I'm faithful and I'm faithful to my word. It's my heart and my desire that none perish, but that all come to repentance. It's my heart that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that all believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. The world. Everybody. And he's smearing my face in his faithfulness. My dad went to be with Jesus. And I'm thankful that... <laughs> Amen. Amen. He's with Jesus today. He's with Jesus now rejoicing with legs, with health, in a glorious body. But because I was redeemed by the cross to my Father, my Heavenly Father, that gave me a burning passion to also be a part of this redemptive work called the church. That this burning passion that you have, if, if you have true relationship with God, it really should be tested. Your pulse, your, one, of, one of the vital signs of you being alive in Christ is that you should have a burning passion for others. To see the same reconciliation that Paul writes to the church at Corinth and says, you become ministers of this reconciliation. That everywhere you go, shalom, peace, reconciliation should come. My prayer for you today is the same God that did that mighty work in my family is the same God that when he spread wildfire through my family, my dad got saved, my granny got saved, my mom got saved, my brother got saved, my sister got saved, my nephew served the Lord. Like, I'm watching God do a mighty work in my family. But he started the work with me and in me. And the same God, it's my prayer today, that the same God who did that mighty work inside my life would do the same thing in your heart and start with you. And, and as it goes up and redeems us back to God, may, may the cross go out and redeem our relationships back to one another, starting in your family. May there be, as you leave festival, this time, a burning desire in you to go and reconcile with your family. To go and offer forgiveness where it needs to be given. To go and reach with a burning passion those closest to you. May God burn in us a desire to be the church the redeemed that Christ has torn down the wall between us and each other may health spread like wildfire in every one of your relationships in Jesus name let's pray Father thank you that you brought restoration to our hearts through the cross restoring us back to the Father tearing down the middle wall, the partition, the separation between us, 
The Bible says Christ is our peace. Not that he brings peace, but that he is our peace. And may that same peace that dwells richly in us, God, dwell richly through us as we are the church. That we get to co-labor with you, God, in what you do in the earth. We get to be on your team. (laughs) We're going to be your hands and feet. May we carry this gospel of life, truth, and light to a world that is full of darkness, depression, and death. God, may it burn in us. May your passion burn in us for the lost. Let us leave this place forever changed, never to be the same, to reach a world for your glory. God, let revival come to New Zealand. It started in us today. In Jesus' name. I love you guys. See you tomorrow. Hallelujah. For more episodes, go to festival.one.